In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Yeah, you can just push them down. You don't even have to loosen them up. I loosen them up, and then the top pops off, so you want to do that. Uh, we're starting a new series. And Does the sound sound okay back there? Because I'm getting like an echo. Maybe it's just from the monitors. So the, we're starting a brand new series, A Walk with Jesus. We're pretty excited about this. So, and so this is the idea of it is uh, during Lent, it's a 40-day walk. So usually we just con- contemplate our sins for 40 days, and there's specific readings that happen. Almost historically, every year on Lent 1, if you follow, if you've been part of a church that has a pericope, you're going to run into, like, the temptation of Jesus. That's really common. So this is a little bit different in that we're going to be looking at the days of the week during Holy Week. Now, a smart pastor would start with Palm Sunday, but it seems really difficult to do that if we start with Palm Sunday and then we celebrate Palm Sunday in like five weeks. So I thought that would be kind of difficult. So we're not going to do that. Instead, we are starting on Monday. So we're going to go through Monday and then Tuesday. Wednesday, we're going to talk about um, the betrayal of Judas because that's Silent Wednesday, it's known as. And then, of course, lots of things happening on Thursday, lots of things happening on Friday. We cannot cover every single thing that happens each of these days, although there's not much that happens on Monday. Uh, we can't cover all of these things, so we're going to do some of this during Bible class. So we're going to be writing questions. So if you want to participate in Bible class next week, it's going to cover all of Monday, and then we'll cover um, some application questions with what we're talking about today. So if you did not participate yet in Bible class, we're starting a brand new one based on this, and it's at 8.30 a.m. in room one. So what the thing, couple things that we're going to be talking about Holy Week, and i got to look at my first picture. Uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So let's just give a little bit of background. This is going to be a lot of history when we're talking about these 12 days, so I apologize for that in advance. Unless you like history, then you're welcome. So this is, this is how it works. If you are a Jewish male, you're required to go to Jerusalem for three times a year, and we've kind of talked about some of these. Uh, the first one, you're required to go for Passover. The second time, 50 days later, we just talked about on Ash Wednesday, is Pentecost. And then the Festival of Tabernacles. Those are the three times a year that you are required to go if you were a Jewish male. This is a festival. And then you would go. So Jesus, as a Jewish male, would go naturally to go see these things. And when we say the temple courts, this is not the actual temple courts, but this is a model. So this is, there's two models that uh, it, whenever you see any pictures, if you Google like Herod's temple. So Herod started building this roughly 20 years, uh, not quite 20 years before Jesus uh, was bur- born, and then it finished before Jesus' time here. So it took, like, think, 40 years to build. This is a big deal. Remember when the Pharisees, when Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, and they're like, give me a break. It took four decades to build this thing. There's no way Jesus is going to build this whole temple. So we're going to talk about this temple for a little bit. So this is where they would have gone. I don't think I have an awesome laser pointer, so I will just point with my hands that w- the things that we're talking about. We are now on the eastern side. So this is the outdoor model that if you go to Israel, they have redone a model of um, Jerusalem at Jesus' time. And then the other model is inside a guy's basement. So you'll see one that looks like kind of a diorama if you Google it. And then that's a guy who, this was his hobby, in his basement built a whole complete temple with figures in his basement. Sounds like a fun guy to hang out with. So, so this, is, this, this is the outdoor model that you can see when you go to, and the view that we're going to look at, they always talked about in the east, right? The sun rises in the east, so the east is a big deal. They, did, they even oriented their maps to the east. They didn't think in like north like we think, so they oriented from the east. We would be roughly in the Mount of Olives, that'd be a little bit over that way. And then this would have been the eastern entrance to the Temple Mount. There was a smaller temple during Ezra's time, Solomon's time, 
that got destroyed and, and kind of taken over and rebuilt a number of times. And when we went through that series last summer on Nehemiah, that series on Nehemiah, this is a different temple that we're talking about because this one is all re, I mean, it's the same temple, but fixed up and essentially. Herod, who is not really a good Jewish person, he just does it for his people, said, I'm going to build this temple mount. It's going to be awesome. So what would be the purpose of going to these festivals? So imagine, put yourselves in their shoes. Is there a festival that you have that you look forward to where you actually drive to go somewhere to celebrate it? Usually it's Christmas or Easter. Those are the two options if we're talking about America. I've never met anyone. Maybe like a Labor Day or Memorial Day, but that's generally pretty local. And then we have President's Day and we have Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which are ski days. So, I mean, those are, but those are not quite the same thing. But most of you, I would guess, in your life travel either during Christmas or you travel during Easter. So you go there and then now imagine you're going to church on Easter Sunday. And what, what is the intent of going to church on Easter Sunday? You want to hear about Jesus' resurrection, right? You want to be uplifted with other believers, and it's, it's awesome because it's full, and everyone is celebrating that Jesus truly did rise from the dead. So for the Jewish people, of course, they're not celebrating Jesus' resurrection. So during some of these festivals, they would set, uh, um, celebrate various things. So at Jesus' time, they would have had Passover, which we'll get to, and then they would have had uh, Pentecost and the Festival of Booths where they were preserved in the wilderness. And then, of course, Hanukkah was already around back then because of Judas Maccabeus. But that's when they celebrate his work and his rebellion against um, and his work as a soldier. So right now it's Passover and they're celebrating the time when 1,500 years earlier that God came and they're all trapped. They're all trapped in Egypt and God says, I'm going to help you out. And so he sends Moses, he's 80 years old, and he leads the people out through the 10 plagues. And the last of those plagues, of course, is the Passover plague, right? And so he said, here's the requirements as you get ready. On the 10th day of Nisan, on the 10th day of Nisan, you have to select a lamb. And then you take that lamb, it lives with you for four days. And on the 14th day of Nisan, you sacrifice this lamb and you roast it. And then you get ready to leave Egypt. Is this sounding familiar? A little bit. Okay. So this, people are like, this is already too much history. All right. So everybody, and, and this is a key verse. So in Exodus, it says, this is going to be a festival that you remember like forever, for perpetuity, right? Is that the right word? Perpetuity? Perpetuity? How do you, how do you shorten that word? Like perp? That doesn't sound right. That can't perpetuity. Oh, no. What? For, okay. Let's just <laughs> celebrate it forever. That sounds a lot better. <laughs> so you celebrate this forever that's the idea so you 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 go to this festival you celebrate forever and that for the most part happens so the jewish people the next year celebrated passover and the next year they got lambs and they celebrated passover the next year they got lambs and they celebrated passover there was times in exile and things like that where it probably wasn't happening a lot but we get all the way until jesus day and of course jesus if you know says okay go make preparations for the passover that's what's where he goes and, and celebrates the meal up with the disciples the day that they picked a lamb would be what day if they celebrated on Thursday, Monday, right? So that Monday was the job where they would pick these lambs. So now you imagine these temple courts, and they estimate the number of people that would travel into Jerusalem. These are very vague estimates, but the two things I read were 250,000 pilgrims, uh, pilgrims, not pilgrimages, uh, 250,000 to 1 million. So you have 250,000 to a million people, and put that in perspective, I just mentioned this in Bible class, Disney World, do you have any idea their average attendance? That's the busiest theme park in the whole world. 
on a day? Nobody has a guess? 50,000 people. So Disney World on average has 50,000 people. Now imagine Jerusalem, which is smaller than Disney World. This area is, and it's jam-packed with all these people, and they're trying to select their lambs, and they got a couple things they have to do. Um, they're required to pick a ceremonial clean lamb, ceremonially clean lamb. They had to get their money because you had to pay your temple tax every year with a specific currency, and then they would go and they give these sacrifices. So this place would have been just packed. Right now there's absolutely nobody in the Temple Mount would have been absolutely packed, and you're this traveler, and you make this pilgrimage. Imagine you have your family or something, and you go into to see the Temple Mount. It was spectacular. Like if you grew up in one of these tiny towns, and you're from Nazareth, or you're from Cana, or you would go to the Temple, and it would be like when you go to Europe now, or you go to see like the nation's capital. You go to Washington, D.C., and you see I can't think of it. I was going to call it the Strip. It is definitely not called the Strip. What's the, what's the skinny thing in Washington, D.C.? The mall. There you go. You go to the Go to the mall. That doesn't sound much better, right? <laughs> I mean, the mall's not that but great. So you go to the mall, right? The first time you see that, and you, you see the Capitol, and then you see how tiny the White House actually is, like all these things. Like, this is amazing things. They, as a kid, would have been blown away. And to see people from all different parts of the world. So the Jewish people from around the world were required to go to this. So it was this magnificent thing. And the whole goal was simply this. As a family, you picked out this lamb to say, blood is necessary for us to be right with God. And you could imagine him picking this lamb out and a good dad, I'll say it that way, would teach his kids, this is way back when, and would go through and they'd prepare and they'd find a place to celebrate the Passover meal. They'd remember how God had taken care of them and he says God still takes care of us. And this lamb is giving up his life as a picture of the Messiah who ultimately will give up his life for us, right? And you can imagine this special moment, just like Christmas. So there's a lot of you that I imagine would never trade your Christmas experience um, someone just said that, uh, like, if you're going to travel, and I never want to travel over Christmas, uh, I was watching a Hallmark movie. It was at Christmas time, believe it or not. <laughs> it, was, it was Christmas time. But I was watching, the, and they went to some cottage or something like that at Christmas time, and I thought, you know what, I would never want to do that because all the memories associated with Christmas. This would have been the Jewish people, a good Jewish family, getting ready. Now, is that how it went down? Uh, we'll talk about it in a second. Here's the Temple Mount. Now, I want you to think in your mind, this is a model, so don't think how big the model is. How big do you think the Temple Mount is? It's pretty big, so just keep that in mind. All right, you got some ideas in your head. Uh, this is obviously downtown, and you can see our church right over here. Sorry, I need a cool laser pointer. I've got one at home here. This is our church before the remodel. Now we have a matching roof. That's our church. Uh, Union Grill is right there. If you can see that, you can go all the way up. So do you have some ideas what kind of area that the Temple Mount would take? And this matters because we're going to talk about the clearing of the temple and your vision of what it was like when you hear that story and what it was like in reality. Uh, this is how big the Temple Mount is. That goes all the way up to the B&B Cafe, if you're trying to put that in perspective. And some of you don't hang out downtown and you don't know that. So I thought, hey, I'll give you a new model. This is the outlet mall. I like this one better because the outlet mall, if you're driving on the highway, would be east. So next time you travel, there's two things you need to know about the outlet mall. Number one is when Nebuchadnezzar makes a statue to himself as God, it's as tall as the LED sign. So that's rule number one. That's how big, that's how big it was. So <laughs> you need to be thinking about pagan things when you look at the outlet mall. The second thing is this is how big the Temple Mount is. 
I think that's mind-blowing because when I was a kid, I pictured the temple courts when it said, like, Jesus overturns the tables and the money. Um, I picture it, like, as big as my home church, which is a little bigger than this. And I pictured, like, when this went down, like, everybody was watching and everybody knew it. Like, if someone right now started flipping over the, the music stands, we'd be aware of it, right? You, you better be aware of it, right? <laughs> you, got, right? you would be aware of something happening, or if I flip this over, you'd be totally aware of it. Or even if we heard someone yell in the other room, we'd be aware of it. This was massive. Like, just could something go down in the outlet mall and you not be aware of it? Pretty much anywhere, unless it's like right in front of you. So when you picture it, I want to talk about what Jesus would have been going to. Here is the intent. Here's the mall. Uh, here's the Temple Mount again, and we're going to look at a different picture with some, some labels. These are not my labels, but there's certain places people were able to worship. And the first one, so you see the court of the Gentiles, and then outside there's those porticos. So tradition says that that's where they were allowed to exchange money. So the high priest would say, okay, if you need to, they needed money. Like you come with your, from your country, you need money to pay your temple tax. You need a lamb. Think about how many lambs are going through. Let's just go on the low end of 500,000 people go in the middle. How many lambs is that? Let's say five people per family. They're Jewish families. They're bigger than American families. So five, so shoot, I should have 50,000 lambs. That's a lot of lambs to run through a market. And who do you think owned who do you think owned the, uh, the fields? The priests. So we'll get to that in a second too. Here's a quote before we come back. They can, this is in the Testament of Moses, which is written right around the same time. It's first century BC. It's a, a pseudepigraphal book. This is not something we'd say is scripture, but this is their description of the priests at the time. They consume the goods of the poor, saying their acts are according to justice. Well, in fact, they are simply exterminators, deceitfully seeking to conceal themselves so that they will not be known as completely godless because of their criminal deeds committed all day long. Back to our picture. So when you went to the, when you went to the temple, if you were a Jewish, the best thing you can do, okay, we're going to just go from like if you were the elite elite, if you were the, the priest... If you were a priest at that time, and the high priest uh, once a year got to go to the Holy of Holies in the temple, that's way in the back, you can figure that out. The temple is obviously the big tall, the tall part there. The priests were allowed to go into the sacrifices. It was more of a job. If you were a Levite, your job is more as a butcher. Like, uh, you think about this holy job, but it's really, they're pumping animals through here because these all have to get sacrificed. Then, if you were a Jewish male, you were allowed inside that kind of courtyard where it says altar, there's like a portico around there, and as, if I understand it correctly, they would sacrifice an animal for their family, and then you would eat. Sometimes some of those um, sacrifices would go to the church in a sense, and then some of them you would eat as a family. The women were only allowed in this area here. Well, that comes up a little bit later, uh, Tuesday of Holy Week. And then the Gentiles, if you were a Gentile, they had warning signs. You can still find them. They had warning signs that said, you will face death if as a Gentile you enter this holy place. Why is that? They didn't want contact with the Gentile people. They didn't want to be unclean by the Gentile people. They're saying, you're welcome to, be, uh, to honor God in your own way. You're welcome to worship in your own way, but you have to stay out. That was understood. Now, the problem, when Jesus came, so if we go back a number of slides... Uh, too many slides. Oh, come on. I tried to do it on the back screen, and it didn't work at all. 
Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He was allowed to go all the way into the temple, uh, the main court. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went back to Bethany with the 12 the next day now. He's in the temple. He sees what's going on. Massive structure. And then he sleeps and he watches his disciples back. They would have been east right from that area. Every great cause begins as a movement. This is Eric Hoffer. Every great cause begins as a movement, becomes, has anyone seen this quote? He's from the 80s. He's kind of an American thinker about movements and how things work. Becomes a business and eventually degenerates into a racket. I, I bet you've witnessed this, right? You've witnessed this. And what would it have been like for the Jewish people, a good Jewish person who says they're trying to honor God and they're making their pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem and they save up their family money and they go, and it would have been expensive because, I mean, it would have been packed and to find some place to stay and they just want to honor God on this special holy day and be with the other Jews and sing God's praises and all they see is overcharging for lambs, overcharging for money and th if you're a Gentile person, now imagine, put yourself in their shoes, that we come here to worship. This is the only place. Let's just, we're Gentiles, most of us, as far as I know. This is the only place we're allowed to worship. And all the, the Jews would be over there, like on the other side of the wall. We can't cross it or we die. And then they start coming in here and they start selling their stuff, right? The only place you can pray and the only place you can worship. Jesus sees this. And this is where we get the account of what happens on Monday during Holy Week. So Jesus entered Jerusalem. We said that, went into the temple courts, looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out. This is Sunday night after he triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, that's where he stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in, a, in leaf, which meant that, that the expectation was that the, the leaf would probably have some kind of fruit. He went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs, okay? So this is a strange account. We have it a number of different ways. But Jesus, okay, you're like, big deal. Jesus didn't get the figs. Then he said to the tree, may you, no one ever eat fruit from you again. It's a little tough on the tree, isn't it? <laughs> so, but what is this a picture of? And I think we could say a couple things, right? There's interpretation involved when you read this section before we get into it. But when I read it, I see there's two things. One, there's expectation that when you've been blessed and there's expectation when you, it looks like you're to bear fruit and you're not doing it, there's an accounting that comes. And I think he's really setting up the disciples for what's going to happen. He's going to enter into the temple courts and say, dear priests, dear Jewish leaders, Dear people in charge of the temple, are you doing what God wants you to do? Which is providing a place where people can have peace, where they can see God, and where they can bring their sacrifices for their sins and recognize that things are okay, or you're doing something else. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So there's three things here. The first thing we got going on, a, they're changing money so that they can pay the temple tax. They're selling animals so that they can uh, do their required sacrifice. There would have been lambs and doves. And so when you go to the temple, if you're poor, you give a dove. 
that we know that. Or you give a lamb if you have more money. And he would now allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So now imagine the shortest way to get from one side of Jerusalem to the other was literally through the, where the Gentiles were. So now how frustrating would it be if we're trying to worship and not only they're selling stuff, not only do we have animals, but now like people have the baskets on their head and they're shooting right through the middle of worship. Like right here, someone said, hey, I want to get from that door to that door. And they're like, excuse me, excuse me, just trying to get by here. What kind of worship would you have? Do you think, I mean, just think how hard is it for you to concentrate in worship? And you have all these other distractions on. I think it's hard enough. I mean, I don't know how you function. For me to work, I have to, you'll see me if you come here during the week, I have noise-canceling headphones on. Because Vicar snores when he works. No, that's not true. <laughs> like, I just, when I worked by myself with no one else around, I would put earplugs on and then shooting headphones. Just because I must be a verbal person that has to roll through my head. Melanie volunteers, and when Melanie's like talking to me, I'm like, oh, great, great. And then I just put these on and to work. That's what I have to do to function. And for me to do my personal devotion, I put on headphones. And my kids are like, oh, dad just doesn't want to talk to us. That is the only way that I personally can function. I could not imagine trying to worship and see God with all these other distractions on. And how do you think the holy God feels when he comes and sees, as people describe him, people just trying to make money. And they turn something that is a, an unbelievable movement that a, humans can see God on earth. And it's just become a racket in the way that they can make money. He's angry, really angry. He starts flipping over the tables. He says, no one is going to travel through here. He stops everything. And you can imagine, as, I, as a kid, I pictured the whole temple stopping and realizing. But what's really interesting is the size of that temple. How many people would have known about it? I think people would have heard about it. But I don't think that many people would have been standing there to witness what was really happening. But his disciples saw, and what did his disciples see? They saw a God who was passionate about not just Jewish people seeing who Christ is, but the whole world being able to have time to see who God is. So there's two reactions that we can have whenever we're confronted with our own sin. There's two reactions we can have. One is when we see hypocrisy. We can just say the church is a mess, right? How hard is it to look at different churches and say, like, it's kind of a racket? People say that, like, are, are you really excited to tell people you're a pastor? Uh, most of the time, no, because it's not too often that someone says, I am so glad that you're a pastor. Usually, I get the other reaction, right? If I tell, it, it would probably be like pastor and lawyer. If you, is there any lawyers? <laughs> Hold on. I just got sued for saying that. No, let's libel. No, they, there's these certain things, like, if you just said, I sell used cars, right? I mean, there's certain things. Unless it's at CarMax. CarMax is reputable. But I mean, so like there's different, you know, like I work at Diamond Gyms car sales. Like this does not seem like this is a good place to, to work. That may be where Vicker bought his car. <laughs> so you have these options. But why is that? Because there's this attitude that the church is a racket. All they care about is money. And do you think there's a time that we maybe forgot on some level why we're here? You know, we have all these distractions, but ultimately, why do you come on a Sunday? Is it to socialize? Is it to see your friends? Or is it just to, to, to lay everything aside and all the distractions aside with all the busyness going on and to say, God, you're still God, and I have sins, and I praise you because I get a chance to hear that forgiveness every single week from your word. 
sometimes we forget why we're here. And there's two reactions. Reaction number one, and as he taught them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer in all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And then the people react. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him. They shift, and it's at this moment during Holy Week, this is like kind of a key moment on that Monday when they're thinking about ways to trick him, right? For all, these, all the months, we're trying to trick Jesus, we're trying to make him look dumb in front of the crowd, but it finally got to the point that we're like, this guy's got to die. This guy's got to die. And why does he have to die? Because he wants people to see who Jesus is. Our reaction when someone says what you're about could be different. So Spiegelberg, one of my best friends, he comes and preaches. He actually he was here for the um, dedication. He's got funny stories. So you can imagine, Tim, he worked at a cheese factory. So you guys, your butter and its dairy is a theme if you're a seminary student, apparently. So he worked at a cheese factory. His buddy got him this job, and he worked at the, in the cheese dehydrator, which sounds like a super pleasant job, right? So he's in Zimbrota, Minnesota. He works in the cheese dehydrator. And his job, he says, was really easy. I just dropped the cheese in, right, all day long. But once a week, they had a requirement that they had to wash all the dehydrated like lumps and stalactites and mites off the, the thing, and it had to be absolutely perfect. And who do you th- whose job do you think it was to get harnessed up to go into the giant vat with a hose <laughs> and have to spray all the like crusted cheese off of this thing? Like it's like my worst. Imagine just like filling in the thing of like craft cheese and you're spraying it and it's like hitting back on you. <laughs> It was Tim's, so it was Tim's job, but they said it absolutely has to be spotless, and why does it have to be spotless? Why can't they just leave, like, leave some of the cheese somewhere? Because the cheese on the wall attracts more cheese, which attracts more cheese, which attracts more cheese, and eventually it gums and follows up everything so the whole system would break down, unless they gave this guy, probably getting eight bucks an hour, the important job of going down into a vat and cleaning it absolutely perfect. Why does this matter? I think when we read this account, We don't have the temple anymore, but we still have our hearts, and where does Christ dwell? Christ dwells in our hearts. And when we get a chance during Lent to sit down and say, okay, where do I stand with you? And when God looks at my heart, and he takes a look to say, is there any distractions in your heart that keep people from seeing Jesus? Is there any distractions in your heart that keep you from seeing Jesus? Is there stuff in there that's gumming up more stuff and more stuff and more stuff? To me, this is an account that Jesus wants to, step, wants to step into your life and say, let's take a look at your heart, and it's time to do some cleaning. And not just a little bit, not just a cursory, let's shoot it over, but he says, I want every speck of sin confessed. I want to get rid of all of that so that I can truly flourish and you can bear fruit like I've called you to bear. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We are humbled on Holy Week. We get to walk with you in the great path, and we see things converging. We see messages, final messages you want to give your disciples and messages you want to give us. You step into the temple where Gentile people cannot see you. They're distracted, and the Jewish people are just trying to make money. Let's take all of that out of it, all these distractions, and just ask the simple question, why do we come to your house? We come to your house to pray. We come to your house to find peace. We come to your house to find forgiveness. We come to our house to raise our kids so that they know who you are. Let us cleanse all other motives out of our heart. Let us look down every single day and and see where we stand so that you can step into our heart and know where we're at, that we know that that the world changes now, 
they try and kill you and they kill you for us and that forgiveness comes into our life and one that uh, when our heart is clean can be one that we can step into lives and show who you are so that all people of all nations just like your heart yearn for them to know you that all people can know who you are we ask this in your name amen